Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Rambi Aurora, co-founder and CEO of Dorm, a hyper-casual learning app that aggregates and curates the world's audio content to provide a seamless learning experience that fits into your day and makes your downtime more gratifying. Previously, Rambier also was the first employee and chief growth officer of Sweatcoin, a company that grew to 50 million users, adding 100,000 users per day. Absolutely crazy. And in this episode, we go through why he started Dorm, where this idea came from, what he's done to get the initial 35,000 users or so for the app, how he looks at growth overall, what he's done to leverage influencers, something that he leveraged a lot with Sweatcoin when he grew to those 50 million users, the process he used for fundraising with his $1 million pre-seed round that was raised, what he focuses on now in the business, and so much more. As always, the show notes are justgogrind.com slash podcast, and you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. And if you want to check out Dorm, head on over to the App Store. Just search Dorm Podcast. You'll see the app there. It's a very unique design, how they've made it. We'll talk all about that in this episode as well. And I cannot wait for you to check it out. Without further ado, here is Rambeer, co-founder and CEO of Dorm. Rambeer, welcome to the show. Hey, mate. Lovely to be on. Thanks for inviting us. Yes, I appreciate you taking the time and definitely excited to talk about your, your current company and what you've done in the past as well on the growth side. And for people who don't know Dorm, what are you doing with Dorm? So Dorm is a new company by myself and my co-founder Taras. Um, and what we are creating is a university for the passion economy. Um, so what is that? Um, what we realized is, uh, back in January is when we started, lots of our friends were super miserable, uh, in, in their jobs and investment banking and in consulting and things like this. Uh, and really what they dreamt of, um, was these really cool aspirations of becoming entrepreneurs, becoming founders of their own companies, uh, becoming influencers, becoming YouTubers and the like. Um, and we're in this really lucky time uh, in the world where this is super possible. There's, uh, there's millions of people earning six, seven-figure sum, sums from doing things they're passionate about, like uh, becoming uh, a FIFA player on Twitch, uh, be- uh, becoming a, a gardening-related uh, e-commerce store owner through Shopify. So whatever your passion is, you can actually be making six-figure incomes from doing this. But uh, the current education model doesn't allow for this at all. In higher education, um, you, if you really wanted to learn how to become a YouTuber, <laughs> you can't. The, the degrees yeah. for this don't exist. So uh, this was a problem that me and uh, my co-founder set out to solve. How do we educate the world um, uh, into careers in the passion economy? Uh, and Dorm is what we decided to create. So it starts off uh, as a free app where we create courses for you on things in the passion economy that is built through podcasts. So we create these courses by shifting through 90 million hours of content that the podcast uh, feed has for the world um, and create courses for you uh, based on any one of these career topics you might want to go on. Uh, And this is all for free. So imagine uh, uh, quality of education as good as Masterclass, where you're learning how to become an entrepreneur from people like Elon Musk and Gary Vee, but all done for free because we're using podcasts. And then uh, when you decide, yes, this is the type of business I want to set up, we actually hook you up directly one-on-one with someone who started off a business like that before or has started off their own YouTube channel in similar to how you want to make one. And they work with you one-on-one on helping you create your own. And this is what we're building with Dom. And with that as well, then, you mentioned, obviously, for free through podcasts and how are like the business model behind this? I'm curious to what what it is. How are you thinking about the the business model pricing eventually, at least for for what you're doing with Dorm? Absolutely. Uh, so in in doing lots of work and uh, customer development with podcasters, uh, with people like yourself, um, we realize that all of these uh, influencers, people with their own audiences, um, they were really um, fed up with making money from their audience with really kind of crappy adverts about products that they don't care about. And what it turned out to be the best way for all of these influencers and podcasters, etc., to be monetizing their audience with was to be giving them something their audience finds useful. And the most useful thing the audience was asking them for was education. 
hey, teach me, how did you start off this podcast company um, uh, based on your passion? I want to also do the same. Hey, how did you create such a large YouTube following with 10 million followers based around esports? This is also my passion. Can you help me do the same thing? And so all of these influencers, podcasters, YouTubers had started bootstrapping their own little courses um, in trying to help their audiences. Um, so how we monetize is those uh, the, the, the podcast app remains for free. We teach people for free at scale with tens of thousands of users uh, every month learning from, from free podcast courses we give to them. And then when they decide they want one-on-one help with that successful mentor um, uh, on the platform, they decide to go and purchase a premium package from them where they get one-on-one help, they talk to them on a weekly basis, they distribute tasks to each other, and they actually enter into a partnership to build their own version of their YouTube channel or build their own version of that podcast or build their own version of that business. And for this as well, Rambir, I'm curious as to why you chose podcasts and why you chose kind of this audio format for for teaching, for educating people in the first place. Obviously, you could have done video, it could have been written. I'm curious as to how you chose audio. Mm, good question. Uh, actually, this is a very personal um, uh, answer from our experience uh, because uh, I didn't uh, go to university to learn how to become an entrepreneur. I'd say the big bulk of my learning happened from two different ways. The theoretical learning came almost exclusively from podcasts. So just digesting thousands and thousands of hours of um, Reid Hoffman talking in my ear or Tim Ferriss or uh, people from, uh, uh, from, from Gary Vee's podcast. So because of the mechanism of podcasts, I was able to download into my brain you know, uh, tens of thousands of dollars worth of, um, worth of business content. Um, and then secondly, from actually practicing the, the things I was learning uh, in an actual business. And we'll go on to um, uh, our experience with growing Sweatcoin in a bit also. Um, so actually, in answer to your question, uh, the reason it's podcast is this is actually how I learned. I decided not to go to university and teach myself by listening to podcasts and then actually working in a business. Um, and this worked out very well. And um, I think this is uh, the future of education. Yeah, I do think this type of, of learning, this type of education is going to be, it's going to be more and more prevalent. And I, I have an MBA, so I went to a lot of schooling already, but it's more on the networking side of things. But in terms of learning, I have a very similar story in terms of my learning being from a lot of podcasts over the years, as well as, as books. And there's so much on the educational side of for entrepreneurship that came from from those sources. You mentioned that you're sifting through all these podcasts to kind of guide people in these uh, courses, their own kind of personalized courses of sorts from these podcasts. Mm-hmm. How are you doing that? How are you pulling that off and categorizing and and deciding on you know which ones and how to guide people through that? I'm curious. Yeah, absolutely. So we have a, a three step uh, plan for how to be doing this at scale. Uh, we start off uh, initially with an in house editorial team that go out and look at the types of courses our user base are requesting whether they want to be learning um, about setting up your own uh, YouTube channel, how to monetize an audience, how to create a product, how to raise venture capital money. Uh, So look through all the most highly requested courses our user base has, and then start shifting through manually all of the top podcasts in the world around those topics to pull together a list of episodes, a list of teachers, and sequencing those episodes and teachers in a way that teaches people uh, the topic that they requested. Uh, And this is uh, how we immediately do it. Now, next steps for us is to start automating this, where we start allowing not only our in-house editorial team to be creating these courses, but allowing our user base to be chipping in with them. Uh, So our user base will shortly be able to start creating their own courses inside of the app, just like you can create a a playlist on Spotify um, and allow other people to listen to it our user base will be able to curate their own playlists uh, and share this out with other users. And uh, in response to this, we will then split our revenues that we're making um, inside of the app with those people creating the playlists for us. Uh, So just to finish off, uh, the last uh, part of that curation story is when we start using uh, the metadata around each podcast to analyze what that podcast episode is about, who is the teacher, uh, who is the guest, how well is that guest ranked for teaching particular topics and be able to auto-curate courses um, from the world's podcasting feed uh, based on the topics uh, that users are requesting. 
I love that. And I, I've, I went into the app and kind of explored and tested around a little bit. And it's a very unique design and, and feel for how you're, how people actually go through this. How did you come up with that design, that look and feel of, of what this would be? Um, yeah, interesting question. Um, so this credit doesn't go to me. Um, we have a super cool team. Um, and uh, our head of uh, product design is, is, is um, uh, one of our employees is called Pavel. Super cool, wacky guy. Um, <laughs> I really think that um, design is really often overlooked um, uh, in very logical and rational people um, who are mostly focusing on functionality um, and use cases. Um, but I think in order to really grab, pe grab people's attention, um, you need to start thinking about your product from the ground up, not just taking... Uh, what every other podcast app is doing and adding your own features on top of it. But actually starting off with saying, actually, all of the podcasting apps are really unimaginative. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm sure users are generally either using uh, Apple's podcasting app or Spotify or um, CastBox. There's a variety of these. But all of them like look exactly the same, just with like small different tweaks and themes of, of each other. They all just look like uh, a big backlog of podcasts, like a big catalog. And you can go through and subscribe to each one. Um, however, this is like very unimaginative. And we believe uh, these guys are completely not utilizing what the world of podcasts is about. This is huge. You have 90 million hours of content of like the most cool people on earth talking directly to you in your ear about things you love. Uh, and it's now 20% uh, of Americans are listening to these uh, podcasts on a weekly basis. If you think about how cool that actually is and you look at how the current apps are using this, it's really pitiful. So we were clear from day one, um, like the potential of podcasts is huge. The current uh, competitors in the space, uh, I even loosely call them competitors, the current people who have podcasting apps in the space uh, are using it in really unimaginative, fa an unimaginative fashion. And when we started creating our own app, we started exploring from day one. If you wanted to create uh, a podcasting app that was more like, uh, that was a wider experience, it was more like a social network than a, than a podcasting app, what might this look like? And it came up with this uh, crazy uh, moon planet um, UI <laughs> you, see in, you see in our app today. With this as well, you mentioned there being you know, tens of thousands of people now using this, and I know you have the experience from Sweatcoin, which I, I definitely want to dive into that in a bit, but I'm curious as to then for, for Dorm, how have you gone about kind of the user acquisition side of things? Absolutely. So still very early days with Dorm. Um, uh, we are only, uh, what, like 10 months old now. Me and Taras had the idea in January uh, we validated the idea for a couple of months, did some testing to see would users like this or not. Um, worked with some influencers on testing out a very basic beta version of the product. We got about 35,000 pre-registrations on, on this. Um, we raised uh, $1 million of our pre-seed round uh, in uh, June, June of this year. And uh, we are uh, just starting to, to build up on our... Um, uh, on our growth uh, growth strategies, we we think for uh, a mass market consumer app, twenty five percent of your um, of your user base should be coming from paid channels. So using uh, influencer advertising, using uh, Snapchat ads, using Facebook ads, uh, twenty five percent should be coming um, through um, advert. Uh, should, sorry, should be coming through um, uh, virality. So your user base sharing it with each other. Uh, and the rest 50% should be coming through organic channels uh, and links you've built with uh, podcasters, with influencers who are all driving um, these users towards you. Um, so this is the model we, we aim to follow. And from that as well then, so getting the first 35,000, you mentioned obviously getting that after, I don't know if it was before or after the, the pre-seed, but in the validation phase of this, what were some of the questions you were asking? What were you trying to see to make sure you had the go ahead per se uh, of actually pursuing this? Because that's such a, a critical part of any any founder in terms of early on in the business is really getting that validation. What were you asking? What were you trying to find out during that process, Ramjir? Mm. So we actually had uh, a couple of different ideas um, when we were uh, back in January exploring what do we spend the next 10 years of our life building? Um, we whittled the shortlist down to, to two or three ideas. 
And with each uh, idea, we wanted to start to validate, uh, first of all, is there demand for, for this product in the world? Uh, do people actually care about this as much as we do? And second of all, can we actually deliver on this experience? Uh, so what we decided to do with, uh, with our idea for Dorm is instead of creating an app, we did a very basic beta test where we launched a website, uh, one web page that had a bunch of different playlists on it um, of courses that we'd built by putting a bunch of pod podcast episodes together. So there was a course on raising venture capital where if you clicked on this, we'd take you through a list of eight different podcast episodes that if you listen to it one by one, would teach you how to raise around a venture capital. And you'd be learning this from the best quality teachers in the world. So we'd have Mark Andreessen teaching you this, Ben Horowitz, um, some cool entrepreneurs who would each chip in and teach you these things. Uh, we then shared this around with a few influencers uh, that we knew and asked them to share this with their audiences. Uh, and I'll talk a little bit more about uh, our experience with using influencers at Sweatcoin and how we use this to really good effect to, to get 50 million um, installs across the past five years. Uh, but we shared this with some influencers. They posted it to their audiences. And we had a huge uh, number of users start coming to the website um, and signing up uh, for, for our beta. So I think in, in one week, we had uh, something crazy like 200,000 people visiting <laughs> the website. Um, and out of this, then 35,000 of them actually registering, saying, dude, this is super cool. Like when the app comes out, like, let me please see the app. That was one point of validation. But the second point of validation was even stronger for me. So that one was overall demand in the world. Now, the second question is, once someone sees it, does, do they actually come back? Like, do you have some super users there? Right. And what was really interesting for us to see was, uh, it was, if I remember correctly, about 37% of users were coming back to this web page more than five times, coming back again and again to find new episodes to listen to. So they started using this as like before they would listen to a pod, instead of opening up Apple Podcasts or something like this, they would reopen this link, come there for suggestions of what to listen to next and, and click on the next suggestion. And this for us was the real point where we went, okay, there is something really interesting here. We built a really basic kind of crappy landing page <laughs> Um, and still we have tens of thousands of people coming back to this on a daily basis to like figure out what to listen to next. That means there's a clear problem in the world. Lots of people have this problem and the way we've gone about giving them a solution is clearly working. Uh, and this is the point where we decided to, to let's uh, scale this up and, and build DOM properly. And one of the things you mentioned there, and we're going to come to it now is, is Sweatcoin and your experience there helping them grow as, as really the first employee and chief growth officer. You mentioned the influencers and how you leverage that to grow to, you know, 50 million at this point users. Take me through that process of, of that. Sure. So it's a really um, interesting story where uh, back when I was, uh, I think I was 20 at this point in time, I'd spent three years, um, uh, after school, I finished school, I took this short course on entrepreneurship. And for the next three years, I tried out a variety of businesses uh, and launching projects of my own. And I was very good at, um, at academia uh, as a kid. So I thought, hey, I'm, like once I start building my businesses, I'll, I'll be a millionaire in like two years. <laughs> now, as it turns out, it was a lot harder than I had planned. And after three years of trying out a variety of, of my businesses, being 16, 17, 18 years old, uh, I realized, hey, I really need to like take a step back and learn from someone who knows more about this than I do, because I clearly don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, and at this point in time, I came across uh, two guys that were in their 40s, um, far more experienced than I was. And, and they had this idea, this crazy idea um, that physical activity is worth economic value uh, to a nation. Uh, and you can make the world walk more if you release that value of physical activity and essentially pay people to walk. Um, sound like a crazy idea, and they wanted to build an app and a business model where they would get money from governments and from, and from uh, insurers uh, if they were to make people walk more, and they could give a portion of that income back to the user to incentivize them to walk more in the first place. Uh, sounded super wacky. It was just two guys. They had this idea like a month ago before I, when I met them. Uh, two guys sitting around in a WeWork office. Um, and uh, uh, they asked me if I wanted to join. Uh, and to, to me, this was like a no-brainer. I get to sit <laughs> next to you as you build this crazy-ass business and like yeah. uh, you know learn from this. I was like, yeah, for sure. 
So the three of us started around one desk in a WeWork um, here in London. Very, it took us a, a, a few years, actually, like so a good two years of basically failing, uh, trying out lots of different things until we started seeing some signs of something working. So this is 2015 when we started. Um, it took us, we were super slow with actually making the app. So it took us like one and a half years just to have the app in a state where we could launch. We launched the app. Um, and, uh, we, we got lots of press, as you can imagine, it's a crazy concept. So got picked up yeah. by lots of magazines and newspapers and Forbes and all of these companies writing about this app that pays you to walk. Um, and in the first, uh, week or so, we got about 20,000 users downloading it, which now doesn't seem that big, uh, compared to the numbers, uh, that we're used to. But back then 20,000 installs was like crazy, crazy shit. <laughs> uh, now uh, we carry on kind of growing very, very slowly, like a few hundred users per day um, for a good year after this, until one day um, I come into work. Uh, we we used to be watching our install metrics every day. And for some reason, that day, we had 9,000 installs in one oh, day. Geez. And we were used to getting a couple of hundred only. And we're like, guys, what the hell is going on? So everyone starts panicking. How the hell are these users coming into us? Now we check in the app store and in the top 100 apps in the UK app store for that day, which is like crazy. Wow. I've never seen uh, <laughs> anyone do this before. Uh, top 100 apps. Uh, I go to bed that, that night. And when I check before going to bed, we're in the top 50 apps. Uh, I wake up the next morning and we're in the top 20 apps in the oh, app geez. store that day. I go to bed that night. Uh, we're in the top five apps. And when I wake up the next morning, we are number one app in the whole of the UK app store. Wow. Uh, and when you dug into why uh, had this happened, how did we finally figure out how to grow? Um, what we'd created inside of the app um, was a mechanic for influencers to be able to monetize their audiences through us. So we had a link inside of the app where any user could go and copy this link and try and get installs for us. So they would post to their own audience um, on a podcast or on Instagram or something and say, uh, hey, guys, you should download this app. Um, you earn really cool rewards for walking. Uh, and if you were an influencer, you'd clearly be able to get quite a lot of installs for us. In which case, as soon as you got above 20 installs for us, we'd open up a separate section of the app for you where you could trade the sweat coins you had uh, earned from inviting other people. You'd get five sweat coins for inviting uh, for each person you invited. You'd be able to trade a certain amount of those sweat coins for an Xbox or a certain amount of those sweat coins for, for uh, these were Snapchat spectacles were all the rage back then. Uh, so you'd be able to trade them in for prizes. And what had happened is there's lots of these um, influencers on Instagram that own meme pages. And they had started using this to monetize the audiences because no one else was paying the money. Yeah. Uh, no one, how people understood influences was people like fitness enthusiasts or something like this, people with faces. Yeah, so individuals on, on, on these channels and no one, no Coca-Colas of the world or Pepsis of the world were pumping their money into meme pages, obviously, uh, which meant that there's all these pages around, like I'm just bait, for example, uh, with tens of millions of followers, but they weren't earning any revenue because no business was paying them. And this is uh, who started sharing us a lot. And uh, we were getting installs for extremely cheap prices, like 20 pence a piece, 30 pence a piece. Um, and then through this and, and, and uh, really starting to grow our partnership base with these types of influencers, we managed to build a company uh, with 50 million um, uh, users in, in really record time. That's amazing. <laughs> and, 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 and with that, as it grew though, as it took off and you figured out, you know, why you were getting obviously this incredible growth from that though, how did you then strategically target more and more influencers, get more people on board? Cause obviously there's, there's some strategy that goes into that. There's, uh, there's work that go work that goes into it. It's not just like, okay, well yeah, we have some people mm. sharing it and now we're going to grow. But what did you do from that point on to, you know, to leverage that moving forward? Yeah, absolutely. So we were doing lots of experiments at this point in time. Um, so henceforth, when this day happened and, uh, you know, we'd suddenly reached um, uh, top 100 in the App Store, we investigated to see which one of our experiments was, was the one that was working. And it turned out that it was some influencers that had shared us. Um, so that was our first positive signal that that experiment has worked. And now we need to go ahead and duplicate it. 
find more influencers that were that were willing to do this. Um, what's really cool here is we had uh, this dual-sided uh, uh, viral effect that was happening, where not only would an influencer share and they, their followers, uh, average users, would come and download the app off the back of seeing it, but other meme influencers were following this original meme influencer. So when someone posted about this on their Instagram channel, other people with their own Instagram channels would see, hey, why is this person talking about Sweatcoin so much? I wonder if I can also take part in this partnership program. Um, and therefore, we'd start getting lots of inbound requests from other influencers saying, hey, I also want to try this out. My friend is like posting about you guys all the time. In which case, we'd say, hey, look, anyone can do it. You just go into the app, copy your link, and hey, presto, off you go. So it, it worked in a very cool fashion where um, the, the acquisition of influencers was actually built into the model. When an influencer shared it, their own other influencer friends would also see it uh, yeah. and would naturally start using us anyway. Yeah, building a product that has, has those almost like viral growth, growth loops is, is so useful. And if you can figure that out, I mean, like you said, you grew to 50 million for that reason as being a huge driver in that. And you hear about other companies who have done the same in re referral programs or, or things they get created that build in some type of virality within the product itself. Understanding that then, this was, you know, you started this in 2015 or so, obviously grows insanely. And then this year in 2020, you start Dorm. With those learnings you had from, you know, from Sweatcoin, how did you apply that to Dorm and the strategy within a new, brand new company, different space? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's uh, this. This loops us back to the earlier question we were talking about, where um, I was explaining how when we started talking to podcasters and uh, YouTube influencers with their own audiences and Instagram stars. Um, these guys are tired of monetizing their audience by selling them like really crappy products that are paying them to advertise. They're really tired of this. And it kind of uses up their social equity when they're selling random stuff to their audiences. Um, and these guys are desperate to make, uh, of course, they need to survive and make money somehow from their audience, but they want to do it in a positive way by giving their audience something that they actually need and appreciate. And by far, the thing that they're getting the most requests from from their audience is, hey, can you teach me how did you get here? How did you do what you did? Can you help me with this? Can you teach me how to do it myself? Um, and this is where Dorm comes in, where we help these uh, influencers, people with large audiences who, who did something really cool within a specific section of the fashion economy. They can help their audience do the same by setting up their own micro-universities. Um, what we believe is, um, uh, higher education is clearly having lots of issues right now um, and it's very well publicized where people like you know there's this very famous meme where it's saying uh, what are the most expensive online video streaming services you have Netflix at whatever 9.99 you have Hulu at whatever price and then you have Harvard at 50k a year <laughs> it's a video <laughs> streaming service essentially <laughs> uh, so education is clearly uh, about to go through quite a large overhaul and uh, what we believe is um, there are lots of uh, ed tech companies, their approach to this, like uh, Coursera or people like this, is to take lectures that were happening in universities and uploading this to the internet. So you can watch those video lectures uh, from the comfort of your own home. Um, now, what we believe is no one learns from video lectures anyway. Neither did they learn from lectures like at university and neither will they learn <laughs> from lectures when they're watching it from home. How people actually learn is by doing stuff practically with someone who's done it before, someone who's been there and done that. So if you want to build your own um, your own e-commerce business off of your very niche passion of knitting, the best way for you to do it is to find someone who has built an e-commerce business from knitting before and is earning six, seven figure sums and working with them directly to build your own. If you want to be making uh, six, seven figure sums from your passion of, um, of esports. The best way to learn this is by going to someone who's already making, you know, six figure sums from streaming FIFA online and learning from them on how to do it yourself. Uh, and herein, uh, we, uh, work directly with these influencers on creating their own educational programs, uh, where they work with their audiences one-on-one -on -one to help them launch these, their businesses. And I want to go back to a few different things. One being 
obviously you start this company this year and there's a number of kind of aspiring founders as well as founders listening to the show. But in the early days then, how did you think about whether it be like equity splits, founder agreement, you know, how the relationship is going to go with you and Taras when you're starting this mm-hmm. company? Um, yeah, it's a super easy answer. Uh, it needed to be uh, an even split uh, uh, very clearly. Um, founders, I don't believe, uh, even if there's a discrepancy in your skill sets that you're bringing in, that it should never be very far away from 50 50. Um, it's a very unhealthy place to start a business from if one of the founders has much less equity than the other. Uh, so this one was was a was a clear uh, was a clear answer. Second one was how do we split the roles? Uh, now a very common mistake is people can't figure out who should be CEO, and therefore both founders, both co-founders, make themselves co-CEO. And we understood from our previous business at Sweatcoin where we had uh, a co-CEO situation. Uh, this is extremely bad for a business. It's almost like a killer. Uh, what it breeds is uh, an environment where no one actually makes decisions because the two people right at the top, um, and there's no one decision maker between them. So everything just ends in a tie all the time. And this means that the whole culture of your business is about not making fast decisions. It's just about debating all the time. Uh, it was very clear to me and Taras because of this. When we were starting Dorm, there needed to be one CEO. Uh, and in this occasion, we decided my skill sets uh, play uh, closer towards uh, what we were aiming for. Um, and it was uh, we didn't even really need to talk about this. We get on very well together. And um, I think within a week, we decided uh, um, how, to, how to build the, uh, the formations of the company. And then the, the million dollars you raised in the pre-seed, take me through how that fundraise went for you guys. Uh, maybe anything that was helpful along the way in terms of raising that million dollars. Absolutely. I think uh, your audience would actually find this interesting because quite a lot like uh, how I assume most of your listeners are like, me and Taras didn't have a huge number of uh, VC or angel connections just waiting around for us when we started raising. Uh, So we went into it completely um, fresh uh, in terms of our network. We didn't have very many connections at all in the VC world when we started, it was just, we had uh, some really interesting validation and traction numbers with the product. Uh, as I said, we had these 35,000 people or beta registered for the product with very good engagement numbers. Me and Taras had a very good track record um, uh, with our previous business, getting it to 15, 50 million users. Um, and so what we started doing was a proper biz dev process, like a sales process, but with investors where we built huge lists of all the investors we could find online. We went around finding all of their email addresses, um, started tagging them that, hey, this investor usually invests in this type of space. They usually invest in like uh, uh, ed tech businesses. These guys usually tend to invest in gaming businesses. These guys invest in this type of business. And also started noting down, what is their average check size? Are they usually investing in companies that are really early? Are they usually investing in companies that are later on? Have they invested any types of similar companies to Dorm, et cetera, et cetera? We built this list out to a few thousand different investors on this list and started emailing all of them out. Um, And this email needed to be very brief, needed to just be full of maybe like four or five sentences and bullet points telling the investors who you are, what are you building, and what is some of your traction to date? And you want to make it feel like, you know, you're really going somewhere. This has got XX many users signed up, this many numbers, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, So we started emailing these out to investors. And usually you'd expect something like maybe 10% uh, of them to reply back to you. Um, You jump on calls with each one of them. And then we had to practice pitching what we were doing in an exciting enough way um, to to go through their funnel and get an offer. Um, Now... In, in at this point in time is also when uh, Corona was um, was just scaring the whole venture capital world to death. Yeah, and everyone was telling us at this point, guys, you couldn't be timing this in a worse way to to raise a round. And we ended up raising our pre-seed round at a very healthy valuation of and, and raising a million dollars uh, pre-product, and it took us about four weeks to do. So incredibly good turnaround and um, kind of. Uh, I think we surprised everyone with how quickly we did it um, with this process. 
Yeah, and there are, you know, obviously a few things you mentioned there that are, are reasons why you were able to do it. Like you said, the past success is a huge part of it with Sweatcoin as well as then having actual users though. I mean, it says pre-product, mm-hmm. but you had the 35,000 kind of like beta customers, beta users signed up, which which is very enticing to, to VCs. And I've had a number of VCs in this show and talked to even more than that. And that's going to be a huge factor, especially in an early, early stage uh, company, mm-hmm. especially like the pre-seed. And and from that then, so you, you raised that capital. What was that use of funds for mostly for that million dollars? Well, we're going through now a next level uh, of elephants in the room. So how we look at um, building a startup in the early years is what are the big elephants in the room that you need to get right in order to move on to the next milestone? Um, now, we had uh, the two biggest elephants in the room we tackled very early on uh, with this um, with this web page I was telling you about where we wanted to see once people hear about this, do they like it or not? Will they actually click on this and come over to us? And second, uh, once we deliver them some sort of value, like showing them some uh, courses that are built from podcasts, will they come back and use it again? And those answers uh, came back very positive, which is why we decided to proceed to the next step. Uh, so next up for us, uh, we had to build uh, an actual product, not just a, a web prototype, but uh, an actual mobile application where both the curation is in the app and also the listening of the podcast happens inside of the app. We don't send you somewhere else to listen. Um, so we hired out a small team. It's now seven people, seven of us in the office um, to build out the product, um, uh, put it live on the app store and building up to a proper uh, proper launch across the UK and the US. Uh, that is almost complete. So the product is now live uh, in the app store, um, already got um, thousands of users inside of the app. Um, again, some tweaks we have to make before we press go uh, on the official release and, and get it in uh, some of these bigger publications, but that should be happening in the next two or three weeks time. Um, from here on in, uh, we need to scale to about a 1 million daily active user number that we're aiming for uh, by Q3 next year. Uh, and on top of that, we have some figures for uh, a base retention we're aiming for, base virality figures, and starting to get some money flowing through the door as well with our monetization routes. So those are the three kind of big things we're aiming for. Uh, there's a KPI we have on retention inside of the app, this particular day 30 retention number we need, a particular uh, viral coefficient we're looking for, and then a base uh, uh, customer lifetime value. Today with the company as well then, what are mostly the things that you're working at at this point, Rambir? I'd be curious. Uh, so, um, biggest point is uh, retention for us. Retention is number one. Um, going through the funnels, seeing how users are using it, what is our onboarding funnel, so what number of users when they download the app actually end up creating an account. Now, out of those, how many end up listening to their first podcast course? Out of those, how many come back the next day? How many of those end up coming back after one week? How many of those end up coming back after 30 days? And this, as a product team, is like our number one thing to create an app where people are coming back on a very frequent basis. Next up, uh, virality. So once someone is in and enjoying it and sticking around, how many fr- of their friends are they inviting? All well and good of them liking it enough to stick around. I think it's a different level of product to- altogether where they like it so much they are sharing it around with their friends. Um, and in order to build a mass market consumer app, uh, unless your your CLV is super high, so you're you know making $20, $30 per user, the only real real way to scale it is by getting uh, lots of users to be inviting their friends. So, so this is a must for us. And that's the second thing we're focusing on. The third one would be monetization, but we're not uh, kind of really focusing on this right now. Um, we'll get onto this within a six, six, seven month time period. Yeah, and I know you gave us an, uh, an overview in the beginning of the product, but I'd love to dive a little bit deeper into the experience. Just take us through when someone actually signs up, what this looks like, what's the look, what's the feel of it in terms of how they go through this into actually then listening to their first you know, their first course and then going from there into moving into the app deeper. I'd love to hear more about that for people who are curious about what the experience is like. Absolutely. So I'd really recommend if anyone is uh, into listening to podcasts, which I think probably, probably all of your audience uh, <laughs> uh, uh, does, uh, and especially if they're listening to podcasts for educational reasons, like they like listening to really experienced people teaching them things that they otherwise wouldn't wouldn't know. Uh, this is exactly what Dorm's built for. So I'd very much advise anyone, if you're curious, to just uh, type in Dorm uh, podcast player in the App Store and give it a go. 
But essentially what happens, you start off and there's this really cool uh, planet. Uh, it's actually Mars, but most people think it's the moon because it's great uh, in front of you. And you scroll through this planet looking for what are the types of teachers you're interested in learning from. And we have hundreds of these. So we have uh, different types of entrepreneurs you can be learning from, YouTubers, actors, musicians, esports stars. So no matter what it is you, you really aspire to be um, and create your own career in, uh, we have those types of people for you to learn from. So you scroll through the planet and uh, I, for example, would pick, I want to be learning from entrepreneurs. Uh, it would then ask me in the next screen to specify who is the uh, specific type of entrepreneur I'm interested in learning from. Uh, is it um, uh, hardware tech founders, so people who built something physical? Am I interested in learning from gaming founders, people who founded gaming companies? Uh, is it from social network founders? So I specify what are the parts I'm interested in, and I select a multiple of these. Um, next, uh, the app goes ahead and prepares a podcast course for me based on what I've just told it, on the types of people I want to be learning from and in the general career route I want to go through. Um, uh, and then lands me on my actual course itself, where one by one, I will go through the teachers it suggested for me. Uh, so we'll start off with perhaps someone like Elon Musk uh, with some key podcast episodes we've picked out from him that will teach you the topics you've chosen. Next, we might show you some venture capitalists based on what you've suggested uh, and selected. Uh, and uh, onwards and upwards, you progress through the levels, gaining XP from listening to the different teachers that we've suggested for you. And then that XP unlocks future levels for you. Um, uh, so this is the over overlying mechanics of the app. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I've, I've played with it a little bit, just kind of looking around and um, obviously with having such great teachers it's it's really intriguing to to have them in there and you mentioned like Elon Musk and like Reed Hoffman for instance if you're a YouTuber there's like Casey Neistat one of the top ones there uh, many people will know of him as well and it's interesting to see kind of organized all the different podcasts that they've been on ones that are relevant to you because that is kind of the biggest challenge for podcast listeners just find what's what's relevant for them and you know discovery of podcasts is such a tricky thing now with there being so many and finding ones that you actually want to listen to and uh, that are relevant in the best possible way and and from this as well then this is what you're at now, obviously, and you have some grand ambitions. I'd be curious, curious to hear more about, you know, let's say, you know, five, 10, whatever, the years down the line, like, what do you think this is going to be? So what we really uh, aim to build is the next way that humans educate themselves. This is the wider vision of Dorm. Um, now, if you look at the, like a brief history of work, um, uh, if you go back, let's say 10,000 BC, most of work happens within agriculture. So people are farmers um, and, and uh, they make most of their money, money through farming. Uh, next, we move in, uh, in the next big change happening uh, when we go through the industrial revolution. So industry starts happening, people have factories, um, you are usually working on an assembly line uh, or something like this. And this is happening between uh, 17th century, 18th century. Um, now, one final piece of the puzzle starts happening in like 1960s, uh, where we start entering into the information revolution, where most jobs in first world countries become uh, about knowledge workers. You have to have some specific knowledge that you're trading. You're usually working in an office uh, in some sort of knowledge-based career. And most of our education thus far is based uh, either off the Industrial Revolution uh, or through knowledge-based work. Um, now, something really interesting has happened within the past 10 years. Due to the invention of the smartphone, everyone now has a device in their pocket uh, with applications such as uh, Shopify, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, Teespring, Airbnb, <laughs> uh, where you can make money doing from the thing you are deeply passionate about. You no longer have to sell your time to another company doing, you know, boring work um, uh, that doesn't really fulfill you, you can actually be making money from doing the thing at its core you're most passionate about in life. And millions of people out there are already doing this in the world. Now, the current education system is not built for this. It's not built for passion economy work. It's built for the types of work we've had for the past three, uh, for the past, uh, three centuries. And what we want to build is the new way people will educate themselves in the passion economy. 
And how we believe you do this is by working directly and learning directly from the person you want to be like. So why would you go into a university and get lectures from uh, an, a, usually an academic who's actually never done the thing they're talking about or they're teaching about? Um, if you want to become, um, let's say, uh, an entrepreneur uh, within fashion, so signing up your own fashion label, the best way for you to learn this is go and work directly with someone who's built a fashion label before um, and get them to teach you how they did it. If you want to be running, a, um, if you want to create your own handbag company, you're not going to have any luck going to university here. You need to go and learn directly from someone who owns um, a handbag company right now and get them to teach you directly how did they do this. So we aim to build within the next five years 10,000 universities across the world based on all of these different niches um, within the passion economy. Building a school um, where people are taking courses based on what they're deeply passionate about in life, uh, as opposed to uh, the types of uh, work we're used to within higher education so far. And on that note as well then, for you personally, what are some of your favorite podcasts, maybe favorite books as well? I'd be curious just because there's so many out there. Uh, you're obviously an entrepreneur as well, but in your company, any particular ones that stand out for you? Good question. Um, so podcasts, uh, it's actually quite the, the common ones. I think your audience will listen to it anyway that I'm a really big fan of. Masters of Scale is up there. Starting Greatness is another one I really like. Um, uh, this Week in Startups is also one of my favorites. Uh, I'd say these are the top three I listen to on a most um, uh, uh, regular cadence. Uh, now, books. Um, let me think of some your audience might not uh, have read so far. Some that might be a little bit unique. Uh, one I really like is uh, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And if I remember correctly, the author's name is Marshall Goldsmith. It's, or it's something very close to this. Um, phenomenal book uh, about how to grow yourself um, uh, as a person uh, and some of the tidbits he has in here I've, I've not read anywhere else so this is a uh, really really good one I appreciate that share Any, anything else anyone else pops to mind if you have one yes a couple of other books that aren't super famous but I found to be really really good um, the author's name is Patrick Lencioni uh, and he has some really good uh, short books uh, about management science, how to be running a company once you're above 20 employees or so. Um, you stop as a CEO being an individual contributor and you're more about uh, you're more like a coach to a team, like a team coach. Um, and, and his books do this really well um, with uh, and they're like very practical books. It, it's you're thrown in some fictional world where you're following a CEO as she goes through some traumatic experience with her business and how she manages her executive team. Um, and uh, I think these two books would be, uh, they're, they're not the most common recommendations. Um, I think they'd be very useful uh, to look into. And just looking back at then your your career so far with obviously being at a very high growth startup in Sweatcoin and same here now with Dorm, Anything else you'd like to share with with other entrepreneurs out there? You know, a lesson or two from from your experience. Just want to give you the chance to you know, say anything else before we kind of wrap things up. Yeah. Uh, so if I had to either give some um, thoughts uh, to to myself when I was younger, um, I think one thing that's really important at a very young age in life uh, is to ask yourself if you had. Uh, if you won the lottery um, and, uh, you know, you earned $100 million, after you go out and you party and take a break and a holiday and have some fun <laughs> and you settle back into your kind of normal life, what would you spend the rest of your life doing? Uh, money, no object. And whatever is the answer to that question is what someone should do straight away. Like drop everything, whatever is the safe option that they've gone with and start working on right now. I think this is the real uh answer the question of what should I be doing with my life? It's only when you take money out of the equation uh, do people really seem to get this right answer. And usually uh, when I ask people this question, you see this moment in their head where they kind of wonder, actually, yeah, why am I not doing this right now? 
Uh, and it's at that point that fear kind of sets in. <laughs> and they go, okay, yeah, that's why I'm not doing it right now because there's a chance of failing. Um, and it's really sad that um, because of this chance of failure, people tend to not follow their dreams. Um, uh, I think an ideal life should not have um, your, your tolerance for failure sh- should be that. It's not, if you are, uh, we seem to have this feeling from, from our school days that the people who are successful are the ones who are failing 0% of the time. They're always like successful. But I actually think this is incorrect. If you are failing 0% of the time, it means you've been playing it safe by nature. You've yeah. never like failed at something. You've always played in your comfort zone. I think the most successful people are failing a good like 15, 20, 25% of the time. So you should ask yourself, if you are not failing 15, 20, 25% of the time, uh, you're doing something wrong. You're playing it safe. You're meant to be failing. Uh, it's what's meant to happen um, if you're doing it correctly. So I think this is the probably uh, thing I'd share most. Uh, there's actually one more one. Um, when I look back in the past like 10 years, um, uh, and this is kind of to, to all kind of founders that are listening to your podcast. When I look back in the last 10 years um, of my life, and we've created like a very successful company, um, or potentially two successful companies in this period, the, the days I'm most proud of are not the handful of days where I was successful. The days I'm most proud of are the thousands of days where I was unsuccessful, where I lost that day but got up the next day again to try to try once again. Um, and I think this is the real part of uh, entrepreneurship that, that makes a difference. Um, do you lose but get back up the next day willing to try again? Uh, and I think this is what makes a good entrepreneur. So all of your entrepreneurs that are listening, um, <laughs> I think this is just to share, um, hey, if you're like failing and going through difficult times, um, I think this is the path you kind of have to go down. It's part of the way. And we'd just like to share that um, uh, we all go through these as well and have gone uh, previously. So you should definitely carry on going, you know, going the right way. I appreciate you sharing that. And I, I love this interview. Uh, I love what you've shared around your story and your journey so far. And where can people go to learn more about Dorm and also connect with you as well? Sure. So um, my email is ranbir at joindorm.com. If anyone has questions or would like to connect, very happy to do so. Um, You can download Dorm, the app, through uh, the iOS app store. We're not available on Android yet, unfortunately. Uh, And you can do that in the UK and US. We'll be launching in other places very soon. Uh, Other than that, uh, feel free to add me on LinkedIn uh, at randorora. And very happy to connect with everyone and see if we can um, be of any use to to anyone out there. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Perfect. Thank you, Justin. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. If you want to follow along on the socials for all things Just Go Grind and with me as well, you can find Just Go Grind on Instagram and Twitter at Just Go Grind. You can find me on Twitter at JustinGordon212. Find me on Instagram, JustinGordon8. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.